greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's a blessing to be here. I was afraid we were going to get the sermon preached in Sunday school, but anyhow, it left me a few things to say. <clears throat> this morning's sermon is entitled, A Christian's Call to Be a Servant. You know, to be a servant, there needs to be a master. And the unique thing about the scriptures helps us to understand that the question is not, do I have a master? The only question is, who is my master? <clears throat> Romans 6.16 for the text this morning it's what it would be it says know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And that's a challenging thought to me. We will serve. I will serve, you will serve. Just take a choice. People say, well, it's a free country, I'll do what I want. Yeah, you do what you want. I do what I want. But we always serve. We always serve. And I was impressed by that phrase in the verse. It says, but ye have obeyed from the heart. From the heart. <clears throat> so this morning, the basic question the whole message is, who's your servant? Who's your master? Who is your master? Who was your master last week? Are we comfortable with the answer to that question? Or does it make us uneasy? Being a good servant requires, I believe, the art of listening. You ever work with somebody or had an employee that you could tell them what you wanted to do or the boss told them what to do and they weren't really paying attention? I think I've used this illustration here before, but one of we used to go to visit my Uncle Earl, and his oldest son was Lester. And obviously Lester didn't have a good, the art of listening. And Uncle Earl would say, now Lester, I want you to go out and close, get the cows in and close the gate. Lester would say, yeah. And he'd say, did you hear? Yeah. Always reaffirm. Did you hear? Because there's times, obviously, Lester didn't want to hear. 
and Lester didn't get the job done. But do I hear my master? When he speaks to me, do I pay attention? Or do I only hear what I want to hear? You know, being a servant, being a true servant, requires addressing some heart issues. Some deep heart issues. See, Jesus, when he was lost for three days, and they found him, he said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Didn't you know that? See, Jesus knew what he was here for. <clears throat> that was clear as crystal in his mind. And it seemed like it was surprising to him that his parents hadn't really got a hold of that concept. So, was my week about my business, or was my week about my father's business? So what am I here for? What am I here for? What did God put me in the state of Minnesota for? Why are you here? Does my life revolve around the father's business? Or is my father's business a peripheral issue? That I take care of after I take care of my business. See, it has to do with my goals. What is the average American's goal? Have a little input, input from the congregation. What is the average American's goal? Money. Money? So why would you want to make money? Money in itself. Pleasure. Pleasure. Okay. Money, pleasure. So they make money to be comfortable, right? More than more you make, more comfortable you come, right? <clears throat> so is that okay? Is that sufficient? That I am happy. 
I am enjoying pleasure. I'm comfortable and I have lots of money. Is that all right? Is the American dream okay? Is it about me? Am I concerned about my comfort zone? I believe this morning by examples in the Bible and personal experience that probably some of my greatest blessings have been when God has taken me out of my comfort zone. How much is going to get done if everybody in Prairie Church stays in their comfort zone? That includes me. How much is going to get done if we all stay in our comfort zone? <clears throat> I am challenged. I am blessed. As a leader in this congregation to watch people get out of their comfort zone. I am. I am truly blessed. People never led a Wednesday evening discussion, but they did it. You know, we have our little time slot. You know, we get done praying maybe about 8 o'clock. And, and then we have prayer meeting. I mean, we have this discussion until 8.30. And remember the first time Gary had, had uh, Wednesday evening discussion. It lasted 10 minutes. But that was great. You know, I kind of almost fell into a a vacuum because we're all propped up for half an hour and Gary had us for 10 minutes and he said that's it and he was like whoa because we're ready for 30 minutes but that's great that's great remember JJ they asked him to have lead uh, Sunday I mean lead songs for a year or something and I just assumed JJ led songs all his life J.J. said, well, I never did it before. There ain't no reason why I can't try now. That's just great. I mean, that's wonderful. I remember the first time I led songs. They asked me how to lead songs. I knew how to lead songs. I mean, you know, I laid the, knew the basics of it. Well, you know, it was out of my comfort zone. You know what the most, you know, they said, you, could, you know, once you lead songs, this service, and I think it was a special like a weekend meetings or something, if I recall right. And it was out of my comfort zone. You know, what, you know what I asked them? You know what my question was? See, we fear outside of our comfort zone. And ridiculous things come to our mind. You know what my question was? So what if I get up and I start the song and nobody helps me? 
That's the dumbest question. And do you ever see that happen? Like the song leader starts a song and nobody helps? I mean, especially if it's the first time you ever did. You know, they're going to do everything that they can possibly do to help to make it work. But that, that, that's just what I thought. And they said, oh, don't worry about that. You know, did you ever see that happen? Well, no. Well, it's not going to happen now either. So I got out of my comfort zone and I let a song. And I remember for a long time I wouldn't lead a song that had 6-8 timing. You know why? Because your hand had to go too slow. And it does not look too great when your hand goes like this. See, but if you're doing 4-4, four, four, see you don't see all that nervousness. And probably for a year or two, I would never lead a 6-8. I see 6-8, no, we ain't, gonna, we ain't going there. Got to be 3-4, four, 4-4, four, four, something, but not 6-8. Or 2-2. Two, two. We take a congregation of people that are willing to get out of their comfort zone. Is there anything too big? I can tell you, great things for God can happen when we get out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it's not fun to get out of the comfort zone. I think our youth have been very brave, some of them, in getting out of their comfort zone. It's no small ticket item to pick up and go to Haiti or to go to strange community, drop in and teach school. It's no small thing. Felt the call of God. That's where God wants me. I'm, I'm willing to get out of my comfort zone. Give it a try. So what are my goals? And how do other people fit into those goals? Now, if I say, and if I'm honest enough, and it's actually true that other people aren't supposed to be in those goals, then we have problems. We have big problems. But I don't think that's the case. So the question is not, are others in those goals, in my goals, but where are they? How do others fit into my life goals? Does it make a difference? If the others in my life goals reward me for my servanthood, does that make a difference? 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For 
We're even here too, were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should walk in his steps. Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who, his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So if I include others in my life goals, and I don't get any credit, is that still all right? That's all right. Is that okay? So what if Jesus said, "Well, I don't get any respect. I don't get any respect. They don't like it. I'm out of here." This verses talk about uh, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief suffering wrongfully. Do I have a clear conscience in my servanthood? Lynn give a very vivid example in Sunday school. A man who recanted didn't have a clear conscience. <clears throat> Do I really, really, truly have a servant heart? I was talking to the cooks last night and I said I needed some points for my sermon and one of the cooks said that he, he knows a man from their community that he says when, if a day goes by that I do not do something over and above for someone else, at least one person, he said I have not had a good day. Now we can say, well, yeah, I'm a servant because I serve my families and I go out and I bale hay or make whatever or whatever my job is and I can bring the bring home the money and pay the bills and so I'm a servant. But is that over and above? Something over and above. Something that's unexpected. Something that takes somebody else off guard. I confess, I don't know that I do that. But I enjoy it when I do. Something, just keep your eyes open for some a need in another person's life. And just do it. Just a small thing. Something. Something. 
But see, being a servant requires personal decision. You don't fall into these things. You don't just fall into being a servant. You have to make some personal, we have to make personal decisions to be a servant. When the order comes from God or from a superior of mine on this earth, whoever it may be, see that I have decisions to make. Am I going to ignore it? Am I going to obey? Or am I going to flat disobey? Or, as we studied in our, our instruction class, how about the sin of omission? Just do nothing. Like the little boy brothers. His uh, report card to his dad, he said, Dad, you wouldn't punish for something I didn't do, would you? you know, his dad said, oh, well, no. He said, well, here's my report card. I got all Fs. <clears throat> they set up a mission. Set up selfishness. So we have to make these decisions. Because becoming a servant is a result of the will, not of chance. So I have to address my will. So then I can say, well, yeah, I'll do it because I have to do it. You know what that's called? It's called slavery, right? I do it because I have to do it. And for no other reason. I don't want to do it, but I do it because I have to do it. You know, we can serve God like that. I know I have to. I know that if I don't, then I'm not going to feel like I'm in good relationship with God. So I have to, so I just do it because I have to. And we muddle our way through life. When just a change in attitude, just a change of affection, just a change in our love would make our servanthood a joy, a privilege. Do I enjoy the freedom from self enough to serve another? Or am I a slave to myself? And I loved that concept in Sunday school when I scribbled it in because I didn't think about it. Jesus says, you can even move past servant. You're my friend. And you know what the difference between a servant and a friend is? A friend knows what's going on in the other person's life. So it's not, I am serving that person because 
I feel like I'm going to receive a blessing from it, or maybe they'll receive a blessing from it, but it has to do with developing relationships also. So I want to move from that friend, from that servant's relationship to a friend relationship. And doesn't that, ha isn't that how it works? A relationship with each other? Commitment? Someone that's concerned about my life develops a friendship. See, being a servant also requires valuing and respecting my master and my fellow servants. So do I respect others who are doing their best for God? See, we can squash the servanthood spirit in another person by demanding that their service meets my specifications. And they get discouraged because when they try, they have all these people around them saying, you know, you could have did it better. Can I, as an individual, demand deny myself the satisfaction that everything in the congregation has to go my way. That other people's servanthood has to be to my specification. Could I deny myself of that satisfaction and replace it with encouragement? So it was their first time to do it. Do I encourage them in that first time to the point that they want to try again? Do I look for things to commend them rather than correct them? That was a great job. Who, who was it? Was it somebody here said, somebody told me that they, they had a topic in church the first topic in church was that was that you who I don't know somebody had a topic in church maybe it was the Bible school or something and there was a man about three benches back was going like this the whole time I guess and, and the person said it I think probably it wouldn't have mattered what I said he would have still went like this was that you Dwight oh is that the, the men's seminar thing you said no I don't know where it was but anyhow yeah yeah that's great you know You see, this all has to do with their spiritual success, their spiritual progress. And possibly, we maybe don't want to think about this, but possibly the salvation of their soul. person gets the idea from the fellow Christians around them they can't quite do it right all the time 
guess what could happen? That's fairly sobering, isn't it? We didn't grow up overnight. And one of the thoughts that really challenged me is, you know, when I serve others, when I pour my life into other people, it could be for the salvation of my own soul. Because what happens if I go down the road of, well, lucky world, look at me. I have arrived, and it's all about me. That will destroy us. So servanthood not only involves us impacting others for Christ, it could well save my soul. And that brings us to the last point, which servanthood requires a personal vision of the future. A personal vision of the future. What do I want for my life? What do I want for our church? What do I want for our community? And the truth of the matter is, if we are going to impact others for Christ it's probably going to come through servanthood and it's going to require self-denial and it's going to require me to sacrifice my immediate happiness for eternal fulfillment <coughs> the American dream says my goal. I deserve to be happy. But that destroys Christianity. Our goal should what we heard last Sunday. Holiness must always supersede happiness. I may be happy, I may not be happy, but I always need to be holy. And so, Servanthood de denies my immediate happiness at times. It's not fun to correct your children. It's not fun to punish your children. It's not fun to bring your children up in the admonition, nurture and admonition of the Lord necessarily all the time. But that's the nitty gritty of happiness. I mean, of of fulfillment, true fulfillment, is comes when I take my responsibility before God because of the joy that is set before me, I will pour my life into the life of other people.
And I stand up here this morning as a needy person, I'll tell you that. But may we all be challenged to have the heart of Christ. See, he gave the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could live. Are we sacrificing for the spiritual life of others?